0: I'm Autumn Lockett.
1: And this is Mitch Randall.
0: And you're listening to Good Faith Weekly.
1: Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. And on this episode, Autumn and I are going to catch up after her day off. And then we're going to talk about three very important topics. We're going to talk about what's going on at the Olympics with the greatest of all time, gymnast Simone Biles. We're also going to take a look at what we heard this week from the United States Capitol and the hearing about the January 6th insurrection. And then also, we cannot stop talking about COVID, unfortunately. Later on in the pod, Autumn and I sat down with the Executive Director of Food and Shelter Incorporated right here in Norman, Oklahoma, as we are really dealing with a increase in homeless populations. So it's a really good interview. You want to stay tuned for that.
2: I'm Reverend Starlet Thomas, a womanist in ministry and the host of the Raceless Gospel podcast from Good Faith Media. It's season two, and we're still talking about that taboo trinity, race, religion, and politics. This season of The Raceless Gospel has eight episodes, eight podcast church services. The doors of this church are open, and we're going to talk about the sticks and stones we carry faithfully that break the skin and bones of Christ's body, and on each episode, We're joined by those who bring perspective and insight as to how we set these broken bones and perhaps make things right. The Raceless Gospel Podcast. Eight episodes. I'm your podcast pastor, Reverend Starlet Thomas. Join us as we discuss the church in North America's bodywork. Learn more at goodfaithmedia.org.
1: Autumn, you had a day off this week. Tell me all about it.
0: Well, Mitch, I had a day off from Good Faith Media. <laughs> I had a day very much on being a mom. Um, our oldest is. Oh, out do of tell. Town for, do tell. Yeah. 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 Our oldest is out of town for a couple of weeks doing some uh, giant camping situation. And so I took our three youngest to a museum for the day, a children's museum. And it was great. It was an adventure. And um, I'm excited to be sitting at my desk recovering today. <laughs>
1: You mean, you know, three kids at a museum, running around, wasn't relaxing?
0: It was super. It was very fun. It's just a different kind of energy. Like, they don't wait patiently like emails do. You know, like an email will wait an hour for you to respond. A child will not at all. Um, But yeah, it was, it was really fun. I just kind of needed a little mental health break and the kids are out this week. So I decided to take a day and spend with them.
1: Well, good. Well, I'm glad you took care of yourself. Uh, That is very important. We encourage self-care around Good Faith Media. Speaking of self-care, a lot of news coming out of the Olympics this summer Mm -hmm. in Tokyo. Gymnast Simone Biles withdrew from the competition, citing mental health reasons And this story has gotten a lot of play in public media. Uh, Unfortunately, she's been criticized by some morons out there for not being able to suck it up, uh, pull herself up by her bootstraps, Uh, just uh, the ridiculousness of moronic type of thinking. But uh, I applaud Simone. I mean, she's got to take care of herself. And. You know, there's a lot of pressure on these athletes uh, to do well. And when you are the greatest of all time, like Simone Biles is, and I mean that in all earnest, because anybody who is so good that they're not going to give you full points for your routine is just crazy good. So a lot of pressure on her. So I applaud her in taking care of herself.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I'm sure it's the pressure of the games and um being in the olympics i can't imagine that kind of spotlight but she's also been through a lot you know she was sort of in the the middle of the sexual assault and harassment situation that happened with their their coach and the doctors and all that business and she's continued to you know practice the sport that she loves but i also applaud her and i think we've all probably had those times where one of two things happened either we kept going when we probably shouldn't have and you know, had to deal with the results of that. And when we actually listened and took a break. And so I feel like the folks that I respect are really holding that space for her and commending her for knowing when to say when.
1: Absolutely. Because it could have gotten easily gotten to a point with all the pressure that she is under, as well as a lot of our other athletes. Uh, But her, especially with what's going on, uh, as is exactly what you said, as you detailed that. That, you know, there could have been a time where she decided to end it all. And we've seen athletes do that. We've seen mm-hmm. young people give in to the pressure and decide they just can't live any longer because of it. And I am so happy that people are talking about mental health, making mental health a priority before they get to that point. And yeah. so kudos to her, kudos to everybody who is in therapy now, taking care of themselves, taking days off like you did this week. We just, uh, just is so important and we encourage it any chance we get.
0: You know, at Good Faith Media, we do a lot of um, talk about advocacy. We really amplify folks who are advocates. Um, But while you're advocating for others, you also have to advocate for yourself. So just wanted to give a little shout out to all of our people of faith who feel like they're, you know, trying to fix the whole world, make sure that you attend to your own needs as well.
1: Speaking of advocating for yourself, four police officers were invited to the United States Capitol this week as hearings got underway about the January 6th insurrection. These officers have been walking the halls of Congress, trying to meet with congressmen, success in some uh, halls, not so much success in other halls. Listening to their testimony this week, Autumn, uh, what? What stood out to you?
0: I think none of us realized what we were watching on January 6th. I, I'm i a little bit of a news junkie, nothing like you. Um, I just have the one screen for the news. <laughs> um, but on January 6th, I was working on one screen and then on my phone, I think I had you know, the, the election results, right? That's what we were watching. Yeah, they're were they were certifying the election. Certifying the election. Okay. A lot has happened <laughs> since then. And so I just kind of had had one eye on it. And I I was like in the middle of an email and watching just people start pouring in. And you could tell from the energy that it was it was something different. But I don't think any of us realized what a powder keg that situation was and could have been so much worse.
1: Yeah, it was. And hearing the firsthand testimony from these officers, it just uh, goes to show you how brave they were that day. They held the line, as Adam Kinsinger suggested in his response to their testimony. Uh, they need to be applauded. They need to be celebrated as heroes. and Compensated. and con- Absolutely, because many of them still suffer uh, from yeah. that day, uh, whether it's injuries, uh, either mental injuries or physical injuries, they're continuing to suffer from uh, the events of that day. And everybody who was attacking them, who was part of that insurrection, needs to face the fullest extent of the law. Justice Mm -hmm. needs to rain down, as the Bible says. And it uh, it, it I I was just gripped and I I wiped away a tear along with uh, Democrats and Republicans uh, who were hearing that testimony the congressman in the room and uh, it was just it was just heart wrenching and it's going to be interesting to see what else is uh, revealed during these hearings um, my fear is that there's going to be some com- complicity uh, by mm-hmm. some of the lawmakers uh, prior to the insurrection and. And it's it it, it's heart wrenching as an American uh, and what we stand for. And my hope is that if there was collaboration uh, regarding the insurrection, that anybody involved in it, in the planning and the carrying out of that mission, uh, will face justice. And so we're about to find out.
0: Yeah, and it's just important not only for justice for what happened, but also. To put a stop to any future plans like this, you know, we've got to carry out that message that this is not going to stand. Like you cannot pull shenanigans like this. I don't care what your motivation is. Like motivation is. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not okay.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of motivation, Autumn, we cannot stop talking about COVID-19. Um, We talked about it last week, uh, had uh, Dr. Amber Schmitke on, always a great guest, uh, telling us about the COVID uh, Delta variant, but numbers are increasing. Um, We're starting to see mask mandates initiated once again across the country, and they're calling this the pandemic among the unvaccinated, and it's terrifying.
0: It it really is. I am. Posted something last night from Owasso, which my Oklahoma geography isn't great. Mitch, is that near Tulsa? Owasso,
1: Oklahoma is north of Tulsa, Oklahoma, okay. which is like- east of Oklahoma City, which is north of Dallas. So for everybody listening, you know, on north the coast, south of
0: Dallas, south of Chicago. Okay, that's <laughs> where we are right now. But they, we've heard from like Missouri and Arkansas that yeah. the pediatric cases are on the rise. And here's the thing this time of year typically is not a time of year when kids are super sick, but what I'm hearing from my friends who are doctors and respiratory therapists and nurses is that wearing masks actually really protected our kids from things like the flu and mm-hmm. colds and RSV, um, pertussis, all these kind of things that you know maybe kids haven't had vaccines for, that we don't have vaccines for. And suddenly masks are off, people are getting together again, you know, which was good, like we thought that was a good thing. But there's been a real rise in things like RSV and croup and flu, and it's only, it's July. Like this is not peak respiratory illness season, right. but there have been an increase in COVID cases. And we have children in Oklahoma who are in ICU who are on vents with COVID, period. And yeah. it's preventable.
1: It is preventable. And it's, it's just, it's terrifying because, you know, I open up the Washington Post, New York Times today, uh, flip on CNN. And you're starting news junkie. You're news junkie.
0: Yeah,
1: that's on three screens. Uh, (laughs) But uh, you know, there's stories on the front page of all of those websites that are indicating that this is starting to affect and attack children. We talked about Mm -hmm. it last week with Dr. Schmitke. Uh, Children are the largest unvaccinated population in the country, just because it's not been approved for use yet. And, you know, I'm sitting here looking at a, an article right now about a mom who's got a, a teenage daughter, a young daughter who was unvaccinated, uh, who's on a vent right now in ICU mm-hmm. fighting for her life. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I'm just, I'm terrified for our children. I'm pleading, pleading with anyone who is unvaccinated, please, please get the vaccination. It is safe and it is going to save your life possibly. And, so, and it's
0: going to slow the spread, too. Yeah,
1: and, it I mean, is.
0: It, it's very tricky right now. I think as a mom, you got to hear, you and Missy got to hear some of my uh, irrational, what do I do sort of situation. Well, Autumn, let, me, let me
1: just ask you this, because you're bringing up a very important uh, conversation that's happening across dinner tables and in living rooms all across this country right now. Here we are sitting at the end of July. In many states, schools will open in the next two weeks, Uh, others at the end of August, first of September. And with the trending that we're seeing right now, with the uptick in the Delta variant cases, there are some school systems, some states have passed um, laws that restrict any kind of mask mandate by public schools. Um... What are you and Josh talking about right now? What What are you going to do when they open up the schools, and masks aren't required, encouraged, but not required?
0: Well, now they're encouraged, right? since the CDC came out, um, it's very frustrating. I had a moment where I said. Is my 8-year-old, does he weigh enough that I could pass him as a 12-year-old to just go ahead and get him vaccinated? You know, I have these moments. I'm not going to do that. I don't condone that. GFM does not condone (laughs) people under 12. Um, But... I did stock up on N95 masks for the kids and they wore them all day yesterday at the museum and unless we were outside and sort of away from others and not one complaint, like my kids are champs at mask wear. I also wore an N95. So we've been practicing with that. Um, I'm pretty concerned about the... Uh, cafeteria situation, there'll be like 200 kids eating and obviously you have to take your mask off to eat. So that's one time when my kids can't be masked up. And I'm nervous about that. I'm hoping that they're going to make some, they're going to follow some CDC guidelines instead of governor guidelines on that. And just having to, you know, have faith a little bit. It's very scary.
1: And again, it's also infuriating because this is unnecessary. This Mm -hmm. could have been prevented if adults would have got the damn vaccine. It would not have spread this quickly or mutated this quickly. It may have it would probably would have mutated, but if people get the vaccine, then it prevents the spread of this virus. But because people have refused to get it, it has spread and tri- been transmitted quicker than ever before, and we're seeing this begin to attack a younger population and move into children. It still can be stopped, but mm-hmm. people have to get the vaccine. So if... And most, wear a
0: mask. And
1: wear a mask. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And for all of our listeners, I think a lot of, most of our listeners uh, have been vaccinated, uh, but every one of you, as well as Autumn and I, have family members and friends who are skeptical about this vaccine.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: please make one more pitch to all of those people. Yes,
0: Yes. I've had an ongoing conversation with someone who's in my life who has contact with our kiddos and they had some health concerns and had talked to the doctor. And so I think I've just about convinced her picket or vaccine. And it feels good. Like it feels, you know, like at least one, at least one person I've convinced. So, you know, we still need to be telling people about the love of Christ. Like let's still like have that as our mission, but like, can we like side gig, let's be vaccine evangelists too.
1: (laughs) I agree wholeheartedly. Well, another component of this uh, pandemic has been an economic uh, crisis. And for a long time, there's a moratorium on evictions, on foreclosures. Those moratoriums are coming to a close now. And there's some concern by social uh, experts about the rise in the homeless population. And I think it's a a real legitimate concern. You and I sat down this week with the executive director from Food and Shelter for Friends here in Norman to talk about What uh, Food and Shelter has done here locally, but also talk about some of the national trends that she sees. So, April Heipel is our guest this week, and uh, Autumn and I had a delightful time talking to her, and also a little bit of frustration because of the blowback that she gets for simply working with homeless people. It was just kind of eye opening to hear some of the things that she has to encounter by morons of this world. But uh, they're doing good work, and uh, and, it's, uh, and hopefully you can find a homeless and food shelter in your local area to, to volunteer at and to, to offer some supplies that they desperately need. So stay tuned for this interview.
4: Jenna. I'm Ashley. And we're reverends. Revs on the road. Pop in the car with us and come along for the ride. As we step out of the pulpit and see what God is up to in the world. We're not leaving the church. We're just finding it in all kinds of beautiful places. Revs on the road, a podcast from Good Faith Media. We travel the country from the comfort of our place in Dallas for now and catch up with beautiful people doing God's work. Advocating for disability rights. Healing from church hurt and spiritual abuse. Promoting mental health and the power of community. Integrating spirituality and art. Working for racial justice. And so much more. We've got red light rants, pit stops, and detours. Faith is a journey, and we're on it. So ride along with us. The Revs. On Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Revs on the Road. I'm Jenna. And I'm Ashley. We're Revs on the Road, a podcast from Good Faith Media. Learn more at goodfaithmedia.org.
1: Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly, and on this episode, we've got a very special guest from our hometown right here in Norman, Oklahoma. April Heipel is the Executive Director at Food and Shelter here in Norman. April has over 18 years of experience in both direct service and administration of nonprofit organizations. Food and Shelter's mission is to feed people who are hungry and help those living homeless make their way back home. It was founded in 1983 by a group of compassionate church members from McFarland United Methodist Church, led by Harriet Lee and Catherine Selman. Food and Shelter was built by loving a loving community and is supported and sustained by volunteers, community givers, and donors who believe all people deserve a home and meals to eat. April, welcome to Good Faith Weekly.
3: Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here.
0: That's, so your mission at Food and Shelter sounds like it would be Pretty basic, um, first of all, from like a human need standpoint, from a Jesus standpoint. Um, but we know from hey, you know, Autumn, now, to... now,
1: Autumn, come on, right from the beginning, you're going to throw Jesus into the mix here.
0: <laughs> it's like we're a faith based organization or something. <laughs> all right, something proceed. Like you're Sorry, we're gonna feed people and give them homes, which, like, I feel like is exactly I what I think. You I've read
1: that, me. I've read that somewhere, somewhere. in some book. I mean, okay, go ahead.
0: I'm not going to cite my sources, but probably the Bible. <laughs> um, so. Um, In 2019, food and shelter served over 180,000 meals, prevented homelessness for nearly 250 households, offered day shelter and outreach services, and provided case management for people. It sounds like a lot of work. So then 2020 happened. Um, How did the pandemic affect your work?
3: So first of all, you know, when people are struggling, living on the street, struggling with food insecurity, um, it's really difficult to try to get those things through Zoom. And so food and shelter didn't have the option of closing down, reducing services, or really working from home. So we were frontline workers just like everybody else. We opened every day of the week, our normal hours, we extended our service hours so that all the extra people struggling with the economic crisis that came with COVID would have access to meal supports, food, and also case management services if they needed rent paid or something like that. So. You know, when the pandemic started, uh, people were just afraid, like the fear of the health uh, worries and what might happen. And so we all felt that, too. But very quickly, it became clear that people, particularly people who were already on the poorer end of our economic spectrum, were going to be affected differently, not just in a health crisis, but their income really just went away in the blink of an eye. Um, if you work an hourly job, you don't have paid leave. You know, you really just stop working. And all it takes is one paycheck for those folks to go from doing okay to not doing okay. And we started to be flooded with those phone calls, the scared mom who wasn't sure how she was going to feed her kids and the um, the elderly grandparents who've been raising their children, their grandchildren, who's uh, got an eviction notice without, uh, without, without, any wonder how they were gonna pay those bills. So uh, we did, our, our work grew and grew and grew. Uh, we were seeing five and 600% increases in phone calls, wow. just day to day to oh, day. Um, and then just in the month of June and July alone, we we fed nearly 10,000 people. So, so the pandemic did affect the poorer segment of our population just in a very uh, different way than most of us. Experienced the pandemic, and really, it was through our partnership with United Way and friends in the community that helped us be able to meet those needs. Because otherwise, you know, food and shelter is just a small organization. Without our community supporting us, there's no way we could have done that work.
1: Yeah, you know, April. One of the things I think the pandemic revealed was that, and, and we have said this. I've said it over my career. We've said it here at Good Faith Media about how close people are from homelessness and mm-hmm. being very insecure. Um, and, you know, I think the, the pandemic uh, revealed that, and you're, the, just the increase in your work, I mean, 500% increase in phone calls alone tells us how kind of unstable our society really is and that any of us are very, very close, one or two paychecks away. Uh, from needing those services. It's, it's just paramount in our community.
3: Yeah, absolutely. We all say that sentence a lot. Um, so many people are one paycheck away from homelessness, uh, but the pandemic caused two to 3,000 workers to lose their paycheck at the same time. And uh, yeah, to have a community rally behind those folks was really important. So we, were, we feel really blessed to have been able to be part of it.
1: Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, COVID-19. We're not going to dwell a whole lot on it, but uh, it had to be difficult. I mean, here we are. I mean, your work is is difficult enough. Um, You know, you're working with uh, a community that's mobile in a lot of instances but are needing to congregate uh, to receive services. We're talking about an airborne virus Uh, this what precautions did Food and Shelter make? What educational strategies did you have uh, for your clients? Because you know here at Good Faith Media, it was difficult enough to try to convince people to wear a mask and social distance, and we've got all the technology in the world. Uh, but how did how did you serve your community during the pandemic by through education and just modeling it for them?
3: So, you know, we, like everybody, learned a little bit of information every other day about the COVID pandemic. And as we got more information and learned what the science told us, we tried to respond the best that we could. But you're right, you know, this community that we serve, those who live on the street, those who live in shelters, um, are a congregate group and they're used to being together, and whether they're being together at their campsite or they're being together here at food and shelter. And so to ask them to stay away from each other was like saying, you know, go be by yourself or leave behind your family. And most of them said, there's no way we can do that. So we tried to understand one, uh, who our community is and meet them where they are. Um, We still provided meals every day. We tried to do as many of those things outside as were possible so that our guests would eat in a safe manner, Uh, but still we needed, we know they needed to come in and take showers. We know they needed to come in and cool off because it was in the heat of the summer last year when COVID seemed to be rising. For people who were vulnerable, we were able to book motel rooms and keep them kind of isolated and that was, one of our most important strategies because there are a number of people who are homeless who have severe chronic health issues that I believe would not have survived had they gotten COVID. Mm -hmm. But the building of our shelter, uh, the way we built our shelter here at Food and Shelter, we have tiny little houses. uh, So everybody gets to kind of isolate by themselves. And so we didn't really envision a pandemic when we decided to build a tiny house village for shelter. We really were looking at what's the most humane way to provide people homeless shelter. Um, but it did help because our our residents and our guests here could really isolate off to themselves in their own family uh, structure, and that helped really reduce the spread as well. We were very fortunate; we never had a spread of COVID within the homeless community. We never had a spread of COVID within our staff um, or within our residents. Another thing we did we reduced down our volunteer our volunteers. We kind of understood that if COVID were to come into the homeless community, it would probably come from outside and not within each other. So we really were trying to just educate them about staying, you know, staying out of public places, wearing their masks, washing their hands, doing all the things that we want them to do that we all were trying to do ourselves. But when they don't have homes, it's kind of difficult to keep up with all that stuff.
1: Yeah. And I've got a question. Uh, I've got a question about the uh, the tiny home village because it is really cool. Uh, so I want to talk, I want you to talk more about that later on. So, but we, I think we got another question about uh, the, the pandemic.
0: Yeah. So we wanted to talk a little bit about the vaccine rollout. Uh, we've had lots of epidemiologists on the show talking about the vaccine. And, you know, in the beginning, it was, you know, wait your turn. We're going to let the most vulnerable folks go first. And now it's like, please give us your arms. Let's hurry this along and get everyone vaccinated. Can you tell us a little bit about the strategies that you all are taking to help people living, you know, in these sort of migratory patterns sometimes be vaccinated?
3: So we were fortunate that both the health department and Norman Regional Hospital came out and offered clinics here at Food and Shelter specifically for our staff, our volunteers, our residents and our guests. So I was first in line. I said, I'm going to get vaccinated and I want you guys to see me get vaccinated because I want you to know it's safe. There was a lot of hesitancy in our first early our early clinic uh, where people were just kind of worried they heard all the silly things that people say on social media and on the news. Um, but for the most part, we had a lot of participation. Um, we had, I would say about 50% of our community vaccinated within the first two clinics. And then just recently, we've been doing a lot, a lot of new education as we've seen the rise in this Delta variant and the, the more a new urgent need to get more people vaccinated. So we're trying to, um, create some educational opportunities. We've got posters about the safety and the science behind the vaccine around our campus here. So hopefully at our next clinic, we can reach a lot more of those people.
4: And I I
0: sort of, I feel for them because you clearly, you don't end up in that kind of situation without having some situations where you were done wrong, where you were deceived, where something went awry. And so that mistrust is, I get it, you know, especially in that sort of a vulnerable position. So good work.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now, you know, hopefully, I mean, obviously you mentioned the Delta variant and it seems like there's an uptick now in, uh, cases as well as hospitalizations, but everybody's hoping that we're not going to return to where we were, uh, last winter, um, uh, summer and winter But there's some other things happening that affect your client base. Eviction moratoriums are starting to lift all across the United States. Many experts are wondering if this is going to lead to a rise in homelessness in the country. Um, What are you hearing about all of this? And are you preparing at Food and Shelter for a potential rise in homelessness?
3: So this is probably the biggest worry on my heart right now because we take the phone calls after the phone calls after the phone calls of moms and dads calling us and saying you know we haven't been able to pay our rent we got behind and though we're trying to pay a little at a time once you get three and four months behind you know we don't make enough money to catch up like that and with the eviction moratorium in place, most of our federal grants wouldn't allow for us to pay out assistance. So there's so many people put on hold, uh, just sitting and trying to wait for what's gonna happen. And it's really my big concern, in, through talking with our partners at Legal Aid, who've been doing a lot of work on this um, eviction moratorium as well, that we once that lifts, we're gonna see a tidal wave of evictions filed. and In Cleveland County alone, it'll probably be close to a thousand. And so there's a couple of things happening to try to uh, prevent some of those from going through. The city of Norman is putting together some community development block grant funds that will be able to pay up to six months in the arrears on rent and utilities. So um, we're hoping to get a lot of those folks signed up for that. But at Food and Shelter, we know that there will be people that are evicted, and it will probably be a lot. So we have just put put an application in for some federal assistance to provide emergency shelter to those individuals and families who find themselves homeless. And also to provide some rehousing assistance, and the rehousing assistance will help them get moved back into a place. It can pay their deposits and the first month's rent. And you know, if you've moved recently, it's an expensive thing to move. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you're living paycheck to paycheck, uh, you know, saving money for a deposit on an electric bill and a deposit on an apartment is really nearly impossible. So to be able to get them moved back into a place pretty quickly, that's going to be our strategy here is to try to rehouse them as as quick as possible. It can be difficult because once they've got an eviction on their record, a landlord's going to say, like, I don't know, this might be a risky situation. Um, So we're hoping that there will be just a general understanding and some compassion that we've all just been through uh, a crisis. And some of us weathered it differently than others, but too many are are still struggling economically and that's that the rippling effects of that i think uh, we haven't even seen yet
1: and food and shelter has taken um i would say an unorthodox uh, uh angle to homelessness in our community here in norman which i think is just lovely and beautiful and it's just a great thing to see uh you know in many cities you see homeless shelters uh but you've got this tiny house village uh, that is absolutely remarkable, uh, and just c- could you tell our audience a little bit about the the tiny house village you have there?
3: Yeah. Oh, I love this place. Yeah. Um, so we call this village McCowan Village because the McCowan family helped us uh, design and build the village. When I went to my board and our partners within the community who were going to help us build a new shelter. I said to them, you know, I don't want to build just a big dorm where people can all cram in together. I want to build a place where every child who's homeless, who comes to live here, tells their friends, I'm going home. And they walk into a little house and they put their book bag in their living room and they go sit in their bedroom and they feel like they are home. And that's really what what the inspiration was, is because I can imagine what it would feel like as a mom to have to take your child into a homeless shelter, into that kind of situation. And I just wanted everybody to feel the dignity and the love and the support that your own four walls can give you. And so when I first pitched this idea, everybody thought like, that's the most insane thing I've ever heard. It's going to be expensive. It's going to, there's no way to manage it. And um, then my friend Richard McCown started looking into design of tiny houses and he just got real excited and he found he found a way um, to build this really beautiful little campus where all the cottages look a little bit different they all have their own front porches where um, on any given day you're going to see neighbors out there sitting on their porches talking to each other kids playing basketball on the playground it's just become its own little community and uh, when the people move in here they you can see the sense of pride, and love as they get to move into their space that's theirs where they can cook their own meals and and feed their children at the kitchen table. And when they leave here, um, they leave knowing they always have a home they can come back to. People who support them and love them, neighbors that have become their friends, uh, they share holidays with. It's just a really special place.
1: I love what you just said about you wanted someone to be able to say, I'm going home. Mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, shelter work is, is, is great work. It's needed. Um, and we appreciate every shelter out there, uh, that provides, you know, a warm and, and, and cool place for people to stay. But these little tiny houses are, I mean, it's a step above. I mean, you guys have, have raised the bar, uh, when it comes to, to, to reaching out to your community and serving your community. So I just love it. Uh, for anybody who wants to know more about it, they can go to foodandshelterinc.org uh, and find out more about uh, this incredible, incredible program here in Norman, Oklahoma.
0: So let's talk about homelessness in general um, and your work at Food and Shelter. There's a lot of misinformation and misunderstanding concerning homelessness. What are some of the most common ones that you hear um, that you'd like to clear up? We're giving you a microphone.
3: So I think the the most, for me, the most important myth we need to dispel about homelessness is that people become homeless because they are mentally ill. Or people become homeless because they're, addic- they're addicted to drugs or alcohol. Or people become homeless because they've committed crimes. So. You and I, all of us, everybody listening, probably know people who have committed crimes who never became homeless. We all know people who've been addicted to drugs and alcohol who've never become homeless. And we know people who have mental illness that have never become homeless. And the difference is that some people have financial or familial resources to keep them, to weather them through that storm. Mm -hmm. The people we meet don't. They don't have money or family to keep them from falling through the cracks or going down uh, a path that none of us would want for any of our friends or family. Homelessness is an economic issue. And it it can only really be solved with economic solutions. Resources that go into housing, resources that go into wages, resources that go into programs to provide jobs and support services for people who are struggling with these things. And that's really the biggest, for me, the biggest myth about homelessness is it's real easy to say, oh, if only they stopped using drugs or alcohol, but that's not what got them here. The people I have met here at Food and Shelter over my 11 years are people who were very, very poor as children. They were already very poor. Their families were very poor. They were homeless as children. It's a generational poverty issue that we face in Oklahoma because we don't have a lot of supports or resources to lift people out of poverty. And that's really something we are trying to do here at Food and Shelter is give people resources, opportunities, hope that they can can lift themselves out of these situations. probably my biggest one you know the other thing that we hear in norman right now this is kind of the is that people come to norman to be homeless and you know we just don't see that happening when we meet people who are homeless here the first thing we do at food and shelter is get to know their name get to know who they are and we ask the question where did you live when you found yourself homeless and ex like the Highest percentage, 95, 97% of the people we meet say Norman. I was living down here. I graduated Norman High School. I graduated from Noble High School. I was living in Lexington. You know, these are our neighbors. These are our neighbors. And like I said, they had a crisis, whether it was a lost job or a divorce, or they made some bad choices. And their what, what fragile floor they had underneath them fell out. They need our
1: help. Absolutely. Yeah. And you guys are doing that at Food and Shelter. Um, you know, one of the things that, or one of the trends that we are currently kind of uh, keeping our attention on is this backlash against the homeless. Um, There seems to be more rhetoric. Uh, People are more emboldened to speak out against the homeless. They're wanting to, you know, get rid of them. As you said, there's kind of this misconception that uh, the homeless are from other, they're not part of this community. They come in and live here and, and, and then use all the resources uh it's always this this otherness uh this dehumanization of the homeless are you seeing an uptick in the backlash uh against a homeless population
3: absolutely that that's been the most disheartening thing i've experienced in all my time at food and shelter it's hard enough to see people who have no other choice but to sleep on the ground but now to see these people demonized or de- dehumanized because maybe one person had a bad experience. Um, overwhelmingly, the people who sleep outside are good people. They're, they're good, wonderful people who deserve an opportunity to lift themselves up. And the conversation where, you know, because you're homeless, you are uh, a problem, or you are, you're making this community worse, in some way because you are sleeping in the park or downtown or in a campsite somewhere in town. I don't, I don't understand. I don't know where it's coming from. It's not the Norman I've always known and loved. And it's my hope, you know, that through some conversations and dialogue and prayer that we can shift that conversation back to remembering that regardless of what got somebody into homelessness, they are all children of God. They are all born children of God and deserve the love and support that we would send to any one of our friends or family, people we love.
1: And you don't have any, uh, any reasoning behind this uptick in the backlash?
3: You know, my opinion on it, and this is just um, speculation, is that it got caught up in politics. Because um, homelessness should not be a political issue. I mean, homelessness is many things, but it should not be a political issue. And, um, you know, I was taught at the youngest age that Christ says we care for people who are poor. We love people who are poor. We give, we feed them, we clothe them. And in feeding them and clothing them, we're clothing Jesus Christ. We're feeding Jesus Christ. And that's what I've always believed. I think homelessness is not a political issue. But in Norman... Political culture has become so divided between two groups that if one group likes something, the other one has to hate it. Mm-hmm. And, and our people, people, real people, my friends, are now pawns in this political conversation. And I really, I, I, I would hope that everybody would understand um, the importance of bringing it back to a human conversation.
1: Mm, very well said. You know, it's been a big concern here at Good Faith Media for a long time. And Ottoma and I have talked to several guests about the hyper partisanship that has trickled all the way down to the city level now and the community uh, and how we have basically isolated ourselves based upon our political persuasions. And, you know, I've said this before and I'm about to say it again uh, whether it is an African family in West Ghana, or a family here in Norman, poverty and disease and viruses do not care who you voted for in the last election. (laughs) Uh, these These issues are far above our political discourse. These are human issues, and they speak to what kind of society we want to be. Are we going to be a compassionate, loving society that cares for one another? Uh, Because as this pandemic has taught us, as we've discussed already, we're all a paycheck or two possibly away from needing these services. And when we dehumanize these people and treat them as the other, uh, it is just, it's a horrible, horrible uh, spiral that we're heading down. We've got to understand that we are a community. We are in this together. uh, And, and you know, as we've already talked about, I mean, we just Jesus modeled this for us. Uh, I mean, he he lived among the people, uh, he welcomed all types uh, into his his presence and embraced them and loved them and gave them resources uh, and sent them on their way. Uh, and so we need to do that ourselves. And I'm I'm so glad that I live in a community where food and shelter exist, and people like April Heibel are doing God's work uh, out there in the community.
0: So what can people of good faith do to help their local food and shelter programs? Folks in Norman, folks you know across the U.S. who may be listening to this, what are the greatest needs? So
3: we always need volunteers. Uh, we're about to uh, construct a, a new food and resource center that's going to make lifting yourself out of poverty just a little bit easier. Actually, it's going to make it a lot easier for people to get out of poverty because we're going to provide them not only access to food, but access to important resources like DHS benefits, housing supports, veteran services in one location. So nobody's having to spend their last $5 driving all over town to access care and support. So it's going to be Predominantly volunteer runs, we're always going to need people to come in and sit alongside us and share space with struggling people, share space with people who are poor, share space with people who have to sleep on the street. And, you know, coming here and, and, and being present and being a smiling face to people is often uh, the most important thing we can do is just to give somebody encouragement that they can take big steps and find their way back home. So volunteers can find uh, all the opportunities on our website, foodandshelterinc.org. Just click get involved and you can register yourself. It's got a calendar of events. It's pretty simple. We love, love, love volunteers coming in. You know, we always need community support, whether it's goods or financial support. We keep an up-to-date list of needs on our website as well. Our food pantry is very, very active still, and we're trying to make sure that The people that come to us always have um, a week to 10 days worth of food when they leave. So they can um, always, always have food at home to feed their families. We try to give personal choice as much as possible. So if somebody has a specific diet or they're from a different culture, they can let us know that and we can serve them. So anything you'd feed your family, we need here at Food and Shelter. And then our other needs right now are really related to um, personal care and. Um, hygiene for people on the street. We give out a lot of socks as foot care is really important when you live all your life outside. Um, hygiene like um, deodorant, toothbrushes, shampoo, things that help people who have no other choice to, but to live outside feel just a little bit better. Um, all that stuff can be brought to food and shelter. Our address is 201READ here in Norman. and We're open every day of the week. And then you know, you mentioned the village earlier. I I love to give tours of the village. I love for people to come and see uh, how our shelter works, not only because it's a really pretty place and the, the cottages are really cool, but also we get to share the human story of the people that live yeah. here. And you get to know the human story behind homelessness. Uh, it's harder to believe the Internet rhetoric. Mm-hmm. So I would love for people to come. and and really get to know the human story behind food and shelter.
0: So at Good Media, our tagline is there's more to tell. You've already told us a lot. It's so (laughs) valuable. Um, But what would you like to leave our listeners with? What is your more to tell?
3: So we've talked a lot about um, the community conversation going on in Norman right now and how some of the... Some of the very negative things have, have impacted people who are homeless. Some of it's been really ugly. Like we've had people come to food and shelter just to verbally abuse our mm. guests. And um, I've heard from people who've been woken up where they were sleeping with somebody kicking them and, and disparaging them for oh being gosh. a deadbeat. Or... So there's becoming real-life consequences to online social media rhetoric and you know I've prayed a lot about that tried to figure out what is it that I can do how can I be a voice for these people who feel like they don't have a voice and I decided I wanted to turn to our faith partners Uh, I've I've um I believe that Faith is at the center of what we do here at Food and Shelter, even though we're not necessarily a church or a faith organization, but faith is at the center of what we do. So on Thursday, August 5th at Andrews Park here in Norman, we're hosting an event, just a peaceful event to share support, scripture, prayer, words, to try to unify our community again around an issue that regardless of how you feel about homelessness, the solutions are are all gonna be the same. We've gotta provide places for people to sleep, beds, homes, food, support. Mm -hmm. None of us can live without that stuff. So um, the next part of the story I think is gonna be come together to, to remember that people who are homeless are humans, they're children of God, just like I've already said. So um, join us, if you can, at Andrews Park on Thursday, August 5th at 7 o'clock. It'll be a wonderful, lighthearted, peaceful, faith-filled event.
1: Um, Yeah, I'm planning on being there. April's extended invitation for uh, me to say a few words uh, there that evening. I'm honored to do so.
0: Just a few, Mitch. A few. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, get him to sign that. I don't know. I edit him weekly, so. Uh, hey, I don't need
1: you saying all that. But no, it is going to be a great event. Uh, we love being a part of this community, and we love every aspect of our community. Uh, beautiful people uh, who live here and reside here and call Norman their home, and we need to embrace every part of our community, and that's what we're going to be doing on that Thursday night at Andrews Park. So I'm just happy to be part of it, and uh, we're going to be there. Uh, we may ask you to do an on-camera interview for us, uh, April, uh, to, so everybody can. They've heard your message, but they need to to see to see you and to see what uh, is going on. Uh, with food and shelter here in Norman, Oklahoma. April Heipel, thank you so much for being with us at Good Faith Weekly.
3: Thank you so much. It's been an honor to talk to you guys.
1: For our listeners, we want to thank you for tuning in again. Until next week, and Autumn and I return with another fabulous guest, just remember, keep living good faith.